that when you're teaching them the faith, when you're teaching them the dogmas, when you're teaching every kind of uh, teaching about history, you're trying to introduce them to a person, to, to build a relationship with that person so that they can fall in love. Give them a chance to fall in love. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Vow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dave Biker for Christ Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? How's the motorcycle? Huh? I, I, I have only ridden a motorcycle once in my whole life, and I was trying to impress my friends, and I wiped out and destroyed the bike. <laughs> oh my gosh, please tell the story. story. Please take a minute and tell the story. I, <laughs> I, we, I was in high school and uh thirty one. Yeah, right. It was two days ago. Uh I was in high school and we were riding four wheelers that my brother had. And I'd never ridden a, a motorcycle in my life, ever. So it was so idiotic. I immediately I was going so fast I couldn't like really control it. So I I got too close to like the side of a building and caught the handlebar on it and destroyed the bike. That's that's my story. The worst thing is is that I didn't tell I didn't tell anything. I didn't tell my brother. I just put it back like normal and it was like all mangled and the next morning he was like what what happened to my bike, you know? And uh I was like what do you mean? <laughs> I'm such an idiot, you know. <laughs> did you did he really did he figure it out? Oh yeah, he knew right away. Yeah. Yeah, but no, but but interestingly enough, the reason you said that. Okay, so last um Monday night I had my men's group, okay? So I'm in a men's group at the at one of the parishes. One of them brought their brother who is a member and actually has been president before of an organization that I didn't know exists. I'm guessing you didn't know this existed either, called the Christian Motorcyclists Association. Okay. And so <laughs> I'll tell you why this guy's awesome and why I'm bringing up on every Michelle Bow because it is a great example of evangelizing a culture, a specific culture and evangelizing in the peripheries. Okay. Because he was telling us awesome stories about how they'll ride to bars, you know, like biker bars and they just act so differently. They're so different. Everybody knows that they're different and people come up to them and say, Hey, you know, I see, I see that you, I can tell you guys are different. Are you Christians? And they'll say, yeah, you know, and they start praying with people in these bars and witnessing to the Lord. And it was, it was awesome to hear his stories, um, and that they travel all around the United States and they go to all the big biker rallies and stuff like that. And so there's a real community built. And he said that this is, a, it's a, it's an effort to bring Jesus into bike culture, you know, um, and it was just – it was awesome because I knew nothing about it and I, I could never evangelize in that area because I don't know anything about it. But it was like his way of going out to the peripheries. I, I think that's so important, you know? Yeah. And my dad one time pitched, picked up a hitchhiker. Yeah. Which I, I don't always recommend. Oh, man. I do doing, it all the time. <laughs> do you really? All the time. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Once they're in your car, you're like, now let's talk about Christ. And they're like, oh, no. And you're like, sorry, doors are locked. Child lock's on. Um my dad picked a guy up, and he was a hitchhiker for Christ. Cool. And so he was a dude who had he had a full-time job. He had all this stuff. But on the weekends, he'd walk the highways and put his thumb out. And as he's walking, he just talks. People pick him up. He'll talk about Christ. That is and awesome. And he'll be like, where, where are you going? And he'll be like, where are you going? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so he will hitchhike all weekend long. That is so and cool. Then, and sometimes he'll have to get a rental car to drive home because he doesn't he, – he'll end up in like Des Moines and he's from Houston or something. Oh, so he'll have to, oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that. I love that, you know, uh, this idea of like finding these small little subcultures and and bringing Christ into them, you know. 
So here's my question for you. How do you, right? We talked about this last time with the relationship between first culture, second culture, third culture, right? So our culture today, third culture, right? It has all of its little sub niches and all this stuff. How do you, how do we know that we're evangelizing rather than just creating our own ghettoized Christian subculture, right? Like, oh, I use beard balm, but I only use Catholic right, beard balm while I listen right, to my right. Catholic music while I, you know, drive my Catholic car yeah, to my course. Catholic workout place. Yeah. Well, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's the same with all evangelization that you have to look at the fruit that's happening. I mean, yeah. if you're not drawing people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus, then there's there's no – I mean, it's it's like you're creating a silo, right? I mean, there's no right. reason to to worry about that. But uh, I mean, there's no reason to to think it's any different. I just yeah. think like it is very easy to slip into that, right? You can have Catholic beer, Catholic beard balm, you can have Catholic motorcycles, you can have Catholic this, Catholic that, and you know the question is: Are people who don't don't know Jesus coming to you, and you're introducing them to to the Lord? You know, I, I think that's the big difference. I think one way you can put it is the goal of, let's say, the Christian Motorcyclist Association is to bring Christ to the margins, not to have a Christian version of right. that thing on the margins. Right, although that still so, – it still yeah. builds trust. You know what I mean? It still builds trust. Like if, it, And especially – I think about it like this oftentimes that like um, if you're really into something and then you're like, oh, man, but but I just became a Christian. Like I just gave my life to the Lord. It, can I still be a part of that thing? And then you find out there's a Christian motorcyclist association. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a good thing. So anyways, it was yeah. cool. But he was a thing, neat guy. Yeah. All right. So as a follow-up from our last episode, we got uh, we got a lot of feedback from this last episode on Catholic education. I, I even got some nasty comments, which is good. I think, you know, we wanna we wanna make sure that, you know, we're we're actually taking a stand on something here. Um, and I understand, you know, the, the episode certainly wasn't meant to be a condemnation of Catholic education. It, it's meant to say, look, how can we make Catholic education what it's supposed to be, an evangelizing powerhouse? And so we wanted to take it a little bit more practical uh, today and give some more tips specifically with regard to teachers, okay? How can teachers evangelize their students? Now, again, if you're not a teacher, you know, don't tune us out right now, right? Uh, this is going to be universal. The principles are going to be universal, but we're going to apply it in a schoolroom setting and and kind of talk to you about our ideas for what you should be doing to really try to evangelize students. I mean, you think about this, you have so much time with these kids uh, and you have such a, an interesting relationship with them that it's kind of like maybe they don't love you, but they respect you or something, you know, something like that. And I can honestly say that the year I worked in a high school, uh, my wife worked in a high school and then when we got married, I worked in the same school was one of the most fruitful years for evangelization I've ever had. And I still keep in touch with several of the people uh, who I, you know, really tried to walk with, uh, during that time. And, and, and this could be the way it is for you. I, I also personally think that one of the greatest graces of my life was the school that I went to in grade school, uh, which was, um, and it was so amazing because, uh, you know, the teachers were evangelical. They were, they were Catholic and they could tell us exactly, you know, about their life with the Lord and they spoke the right language and they and they tried to get to know us and and, and we love them and, and it really made a big difference in my life. So you can do that too. So today we're going to talk about how to evangelize students uh, from the perspective of teachers. Yeah, and one of the other reasons why we wanted to do this, we got a lot of really good feedback and a lot of um, 
comments about this episode. But the funny thing was our fine producers over at Ascension was like, listen, you also got a massive spike in listens. And yeah. they were like, this is clearly a need, a fertile area that we need to touch right, upon. Right. And so we were like, okay, so what can we talk about today that builds upon that episode that I think will probably by the time this comes out, we're recording on Wednesday, August 14th. So it's probably a two week old episode, but, um, we, we were trying to talk about like, what about the Catholic school life could we touch upon to bear the most fruit and also be universal. And it's the notion of the teacher as evangelist. I, and I, we're, we're going to jump right in here. So my, my very first thought for, for everyone out there who's listening, especially you teachers is this, uh, it's such a desire in high school to be heard. You know, they want they want to tell their story. Kids want to tell their story. And and the fact of the matter is most of most of these kids, uh regardless of, of where you are in the country or anything like that, are spending most of their time alone and most of their time on a screen. And what's really important, what you're really gonna start to see fruit is when you're honestly engaging them in a relationship by listening to them and asking them what you know what are their dreams what are their hopes things like that and and really digging into that uh, I can tell you of many many different relationships that started with me just asking questions about them and letting them go as long as they wanted now I understand you're in a classroom setting but there's a difference right uh, where you can really show them that you're listening. And there's also, you know, kind of the people who they know, you know, they know you're not listening. So what I want you to do is I want you to focus on trying to listen to them and, and starting to ask the deeper questions that get down to what they really feel about eternity, about the world, about Jesus Christ, about the church. Um, and you want to kind of creep up on those things, right? You're not just going to come out and say, so what do you guys think about the priest crisis or something like that? Or what do you think about, you know, heaven or hell, or do you believe in this? You want to start to like get to know them as a person and really listen to their story so that you understand the context for the answers to those bigger questions you'll ask eventually. Yeah, exactly. And we all know that today kids are more childhood while being longer is also more professionalized. Like when I was a kid, you know, to, to be on the varsity football team, you practice during the summer and then you had a handful of practices during the season, and then you were off. Now kids have year-round weight room. They're told to join the track team just to stay in physical shape. You know, during the off season, you have two a days followed immediately by like five days, four days a week of practices on top of the games. Right. It is a totally different world than when I and I'm 37 when I was in high school playing sports. Right. So when we start to look at all of these different things, we realize that kids. Sports were invented to help kids become adults. Now they exist to prop up adults' careers. Right. And the careerism of childhood uh, education, childhood um, extracurriculars creates this exact vacuum. No one is listening to them, forming honest relationships with them. If you as the teacher who already go out of your way to build relationships with them – if you do it within the context of evangelization, asking them the deep questions that really matter, I think you're going to form massive headways into uh, bringing them closer to Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, t I'll tell you another thing that and, – and this is something I stress to all my catechists. I stress to youth ministers I work with, teachers that I do retreats for, and that is this, that for whatever reason, 
in America, and I don't know, maybe it's the same way in other parts of the world, but I'm, I'm not really sure, but we've created an incredibly sarcastic culture, okay, to the point where there is a whole world that we create of sarcasm that's not real that we comment on and talk about, and most of us live in that sarcastic world, right? Uh, and, and, and a lot of the families are like this as well. And, and my point to that is whether a kid admits it or not, it can be really destructive, right? Uh, I'll give you an example. So there was a, a catechist that I had, and I, I noticed that when I was watching him uh, in one of the classes, right, he, he would call this one kid the crazy one, right? So he called all the other kids by their name. Then he called the one kid the crazy one, you know? Now, this kid would smile, and he thought it was kind of – it was almost like a pet name in a certain sense. But I really could see that this kid almost adopted the persona then of the crazy one, right? Like he's the wild one in class, okay? And what he meant was that he's you know tough – his behavior is not great, you know? And my, my point to this teacher was this, that look, when you label that kid you know, in that way, it does put up a certain persona – and really the only kind of identity that we want to, I, them to identify with is that they're a, a loved child of God, okay? And I'm not trying to be nerdy. I'm not saying that you're trying – you need to be you know, like a – I don't know, a Puritan or something like that. We want to joke around and have fun. But my point is that sarcasm is what they get everywhere else. And one of the ways you can distinguish yourself is by having Christian conversation instead of you know, just this sarcastic tone, right? They're being handed identities left and right uh, in school and in high school. What you want to do is affirm their true identity. And the way you do that usually is by cutting through all the sarcasm and the untruth that society gives them and giving them the loving truth of their life. One of the most powerful things we can offer kids, right, is not just to listen, but to replace the false narrative and false labels that our culture imposes. And I know I have a kid that I call my wild card because you never know what you're going to get. Right. And when I realized I was doing that more than a joke, like, oh, yeah, like almost like I had created that identity for them. What you do is you limit their horizons. Sure. You say this is who you are, what you are. And even if it's not sarcastic in the sense of your tongue in cheek making fun of them or whatever, even if it's meant to be as a compliment, when the compliment becomes an identity, it's a problem by which, yeah, it becomes a problem. So Sherry Waddell has this great line, never accept a label in the place of a story. But these labels, people carry with them. I'll do these teachers retreats and I'll say, how many of y'all remember the nicknames you were given when you were in middle school? And women more than men raise their hands because these nicknames become labels that become identities, right? Even if you're the pretty one, the smart one, the athletic one, that can limit your horizons, right? That's why I think it's so powerful in the book of Revelation. There's a story of God giving a white stone to every believer, and it has their true name written on it. Like, that's beautiful. Like, not this horizontally defined identity that either I adopt or that other people throw upon me, right? And you as a teacher can cut through that mess. You can help people have a vertical definition and that is what we want to offer them and and in all honesty they, they might hear your definition and say oh my gosh what have i been accepting these lies right all the time you know i remember one time in college uh when you know gomer and i lived on the in the same wing uh, uh you know of the dorm and i would go every saturday to the abortion clinic and then i'd come back and i'd take a nap after that 
because we'd leave at like 4.30, you know, or I'd be up at like 4 or something like that. And um, one day I was taking a nap and Gomer's household, which is like a Catholic fraternity, they were always like loud and obnoxious and you know, I'm just kidding, Gomer. But uh, but yes, loud no, we and were. obnoxious. We were. <laughs> so, uh, so I would always get angry at them because they don't interrupt my nap, you know. And, uh, and one day I, some kid was bouncing a, a tennis ball up against my wall and I heard – they're the Frank twins. Some these kids who we went to school oh, with. They're the worst. One of them said, uh, "Worst." One of them, I could hear him say, and I was so angry that this kid was bouncing the tennis ball up against my. I was about to go out and scream, and and I heard one of the Frank twins say, "Hey, I wouldn't do that if I were you." And he's like, "Why?" And he's like, "Cause that's you know that's Dave's room." And he's like, "So what? You know what's the big deal?" The other kid, and I'm listening to this, you know, and he's like. I don't know. He's just like a big guy. He's kind of mean. He doesn't really like people. And he gets real angry if you interrupt his nap. And literally when I'm hearing this, I'm like, oh, man, is that what people think about me? Like I don't want – you know, I don't want people to think I don't like them. It's just like you know, my resting face is just not like a you know, lilies in the field, okay? So I was just laughing so hard. But I tried so hard after that to be so friendly to them and so like loving and everything because it, it really it, – like I realized like in a lot of ways I had kind of bought into that, you know, that I identity <laughs> oh that's so of, like the grumpy guy you know yeah yeah the uh so i'm going to take this and turn it towards very specific ways of approaching um religion class or things like that where catechesis can be catechesis evangelization proclamation can be woven into what you're doing so when you look at the document catechesi tridende on catechesis in our time pope john paul ii has a very conscious understanding you can look at the paragraph 19 explicitly but throughout the whole document he's trying to give the people christ not just information so i want to help us reframe what we're presenting now i know many of you do this already or else you wouldn't be listening to a show like ours but the idea is the communication of the truths of our faith have a point a purpose right and when you are every single – especially if you're teaching religion, theology, whatever you call it in your school, especially if you're teaching an explicitly Christian topic, the goal is conversion, right? So you have to sit down and rework your lesson plan for the sake of conversion, right. bringing souls to Christ. Um, I told the story in the past where a priest said, you know, I'm doing Sherry Waddell's proclaiming the gospel and – no one's converting. Where are all these people converting? I said, well, how often do you preach repentance? How, how do you lead people into repentance? I mean, these are topics that young people need to understand because they are being defined by their wounds. They are the walking wounded. And the difference is in our culture, we celebrate them and we attack the shame attached to them. How dare you shame me? All this stuff. But that still doesn't mean they're not wounded. And the grace and mercy of Christ is what can heal that wound. So when you're framing your content, it's not just about the giving of information, although with the gospel, our information is still a form of formation. But we are, we are specifically looking to change their lives. So when you lay it out, look at this and say, so what? So what? How, what is this going to do? How are they going to be different at the end of today having heard this? And by the way, this doesn't just apply to religion teachers. It, it really doesn't. Right. In fact, it's going to be more effective the further away you get from it. But this should be happening in history, science, all every place you can. 
trying to advance them to make them better humans, which is your job. Don't worry. You're not going to get in trouble for this. Okay. It is your job. Uh, or at least you shouldn't get in trouble for this. And you can do this very effectively in other in other classes besides religion. Uh, and I love the fact that, you know, Gomer's saying, like, rework your lesson plans. Be, be very strategic about this. There's no reason not to. Be very strategic about this and and really lay the groundwork so that they have a chance. That's what we're asking here. Give them a chance to believe in the fullness of the gospel. If you want help in how to do this very practical, there's a book called Understanding or Communicating for a Change by Andy Stanley. I've read that book when I did middle school catechesis. Um, I reframed all of my direct instruction through the the process that he calls, um, uh, what is it? Me, we, yeah. God, you, we. And that approach it forces you to be very, very practical, right. and I love it. Um, my next point that I wanted to say is... When we're talking about conversion, we mean conversion to Christ. So Pope John Paul says this, and I have found this shockingly absent in so much of what I was taught throughout the years as a student. Well, be, be explicit. Uh, what, what do you mean? I, I love, I'd love to hear this. Christocentric. Like so many times I'm ta- I was taught in, in class – you know, whether you're talking about the mass or the sacraments, you're talking about the liturgy, you're talking about this, we immediate get, immediately get lost in the minutia uh, without tying it yeah. back to Christ, especially to the Paschal Mystery. And it is so shocking to me how people will tell me, like, they've gone through 12 years of Catholic education, <clears throat> and they didn't know that Christ died for me, right? Like, right. they've never heard right. that, you know? And it, it shocks me because, number one, they're not getting scripture. But number two, it's not Christocentric. It's just a bunch of loosely connected facts right. or historical whatever. And to miss the Christ at the center of history, at the center of our own personal lives, the center of conversion, the center of the sacraments, the center of liturgy, to miss that is a disaster. So what you end up doing is you don't teach prayer, Christian prayer. You teach a vague thing called spirituality. Right. And then the kids, you wonder why they immediately adopt Eastern forms of spirituality, because it's all the same spirituality. It's about how it makes me feel. No, it's Christocentrism that drives this whole thing. Yeah, and it, the the point is, is that look, you're you're introducing someone to a friend, okay? And it's it's that simple, but but it's more. But this friend is much more complicated than me introducing someone to Gomer or something like that, right? And so we want to give them the fullness of that, but make sure that they realize. That when you're teaching them the faith, when you're teaching them the dogmas, when you're teaching every kind of uh, teaching about history, you're trying to introduce them to a person, to, to build a relationship with that person so that they can fall in love. Give them a chance to fall in love. And this goes right to the next point. Pope John Paul said this, and honestly, uh, this is the easiest thing for me to ignore when I'm doing RCIA and stuff like that. But it's teaching through the life of Christ as a whole. Right. This is why I think if you were to read this section, it's I think it's like paragraph nine in Catechesi Tridente, you would see something that is so fascinating. You would see the luminous mysteries contained in here. Right. right. This is the Pope that gave us the luminous mysteries because there's a huge gap. If you just teach the creed, right. which we should, you miss the life of Christ as a whole. And it's the life of Christ that converts people. So um, I'm just going to read this one beautiful sentence. Accordingly, the whole of Christ's life was a continual teaching. His silences, his miracles, his gestures, his prayer, 
his love for people, his special affection for the little and the poor, his acceptance of the total sacrifice on the cross for the redemption of the world, and his resurrection are the actual, I love this phrase, the actualization of his word and the fulfillment of revelation. And then he ends it by saying, hence for Christians, the crucifix is one of the most sublime and popular images of Christ the teacher. And that's my hope is like people need to be attached to the person of Christ. Yet it's easy. We can teach Christology without ever touching the words and deeds of Jesus. Isn't that shocking? Yeah, it is. It's awful. Uh, outside, outside of the I am sayings of Jesus. Well, see, look, he's divinity. He's divine. Other than that, we we miss this. But we need to see his love of the poor and the little and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that if you're doing the things that we've talked about uh, and you're introducing them to the fullness of, of the person of Jesus Christ and you're calling them to repentance, the next step is giving them chances for encounter. And, yeah. and I know that you don't. I know you might not realize this, but you can any class you can do this in, right? Any class you can do this in. And it's almost better if you can do it in a non-explicit way, right? If you can get them to a point where, say, in science, they've reached the limit of science and have to say something, someone created this, right? Or you get them in literature where they get to the point to say, like, oh, this catharsis, right? That they're at the point where they realize, like, oh, the beauty, the truth, the goodness of this that they have that moment of encounter where they can make some kind of a decision, even if it's, even if it's just assenting to the truth, uh, bringing them to that. And then when we get more explicit about it, when, when religion teachers and campus ministers are bringing them to adoration or asking them to make these, these decisions you know, to, to make Jesus Christ the center of their life, it's so much easier because they've had that encounter in other places and have made that ascent to the word in other places. Absolutely. Absolutely. The the last thing I want to emphasize, and this is the most difficult one, is life together as teachers, right? We want teachers to be a communion in Christ. When I do my teacher retreats, I have, uh, and I'm about to put up the audio on my SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash AMD Gomer. I'm about to put up a series of teachers retreats that I did. And Every single one of them as a central component is what I call one anothering one another. It's a phrase some evangelical pastor made up probably two decades ago, and every other evangelical pastor has been stealing it from him ever since. But you can find these verses online. Just type in the New Testament, one anothering one another, and there are all these different lists. And honestly, just preaching through the list is enough to make teachers look around and be like, wow, we don't have this. We need this. Or I feel this way with a certain group of teachers, but not other groups of teachers. And so, you know, you have all things from like, love one another, pray for one another, be at peace with one another, be in harmony with every, with one another. Um, but then you also have things like stop biting and devouring one another, or you will destroy one another. Do not slander one another. Do not gossip or grumble against one another. And when you start to build these up, you realize like how easy it is to let the flesh fail us in the communion of teachers, right? What could be more powerful than teachers who actually love one another the way Christ loved them, right? What could be more powerful to the witness of young students? 
Like nothing is more powerful than that. Wow, sister so-and-so was really a Christian in religion class might be a great thing. Right. But how much better is it to find out that all the teachers rallied around so-and-so when her husband got sick and got laid off from work and they went and do, you know, so-and-so mows their lawn or, you know what I mean? Like building community real community needs to take, yeah, real community, life together needs to take priority. That doesn't mean you're going to be best friends with everyone. But it does mean you're going to pray for each other. You're going to love each other. How many teachers are teachable, right? Right. It's fine to teach other kids, but will you let other people challenge you, admonish you, call you on, call you out? Like that's the type of relationship the Christian community needs to sustain. And if kids are in that environment, Right, You're listening to them. You're understanding the family culture they're coming from. You're speaking truth and giving them a true identity in Christ. You're giving them chances of encounter for God. You're pointing everything to conversion, and it's centered on Christ and his whole life. You know, they are going to see this as something that is 100% authentic. Amen. But if you hate each other, they're going to see it as just a smokescreen. Yep. It's not a whole life. It's not a whole life. They need to see yep. that unity there. Uh, you know, I would just, I would just, you know, kind of hammer down this point that if you are involved in Catholic education in any way, uh, to paraphrase Pope Francis, right? He said he he dreams of a missionary option, a missionary impulse, where all of the church's resources are leveraged for spreading the gospel. Please, please, please. Do not spend another minute in Catholic education unless you're willing to leverage every bit of it into making disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, to sharing Jesus Christ with people. That is the only reason that those buildings exist, that the that the desks exist, that the you know all the the, the money that goes into it is the only reason is truly just to introduce people to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. We're going to come right back with our five practical takeaways. We want you to reach out to us if you are, and this is the challenge, if you're a teacher. I want to hear from teachers. We already heard from some presidents and principals and whatnot, but I want to hear from you as teachers about maybe how this helped, how this has annoyed you, whatever. Um, When we come right back, we're going to break open five practical takeaways that you can implement these things that we talked about today. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it, but what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, if you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book is for you. The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. Hopefully, you purchase whatever the people on the Ascension commercial told you to because <laughs> that's what keeps this podcast rolling. Yeah. Um, so, teachers, five practical takeaways. Buckle up, baby birds. Mama's going to feed you. <laughs> Number one, educate yourself. Read Catechesi Tridende. 
paragraphs one through nine, just the introduction, it'll take you maybe nine minutes, yeah. right? Read through it and just see all the stuff that we talked about, Christ the teacher, all that good stuff. And try to keep your breath while you're reading it because it is breathtaking. <laughs> At first, I thought you were going like full mindfulness meditation no, on it. No. Pay attention. No, you know, I, you know I would never do that. Uh, <laughs> all right, number two. Uh, Gomer mentioned that in Catechesi Trinende, uh, the Pope presents Jesus on the cross, the crucifixion, as the fullness of the expression of Jesus as teacher. I want you to pick a crucifix, pick your favorite picture of the crucifixion, and I want you to take some time to meditate on that and meditate on Jesus as teacher on the cross. And just think about what that means for you and what the implications are for your life and how uh, we all have to exhibit the cross to others. We have to bring others to the Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Oh, amen, amen. I love that. Uh, Number three, community. Here we go. This is going to be the challenging one, the most challenging. Pick a Bible study and invite teachers to study it with you. When we did the, the Catholic schools episode... One of the things was we encourage parents that as you're dropping off, maybe do a morning cup of coffee together or whatever. What if you were to lead it? Now, I know you're thinking, what study do I do? There's so many stuff that you could do from Ascension Press. Oh, I don't know. Radical communities. Don't walk alone. Whatever. Or you could go. I mean, there's tons of just Bible studies. Get a book and walk through the life of Christ together. Um, But um, here's the goal. If you're listening to this, you need to be the one to lead it. And to get fired up about helping people encounter Christ. Okay, awesome. Okay, I want you to, and this might be tough too, okay? That last one that Gomer said, I, I feel like that is tough, and, and I want you to do it, and, and I want to do it even myself, but it's like that's, that's a hard thing. Now, this one's going to be hard too. I want you to think of a young person in your life, okay? And I want you to try and get to know them by asking questions and listening and letting them speak. Now, it's going to be important that you sus- – Suspend judgment, okay? Uh, When you listen to what comes out of their mouth, sometimes it could be a shock, and you just need to listen. That's what you're there for is to get to know the the deeper movements of their heart by just asking them questions, you know, and asking them what what they want out of life and things like that and and really try to understand where they're coming from and build that trust and that friendship. Exactly. And last intercession, everyone right now, let us all pray for Catholic school teachers as this school year begins. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Everyone out there, thank you for praying with us. Keep praying for your teachers this school year. It's beginning. Things are nuts. I've been leading so many teacher retreats. I know how nuts it is. So let's keep them in your prayers as we go forward. I am Mike Gormley, joined as always by Dave Van Vickle. Uh, And we are here uh, to teach you how to evangelize every single week with Ascension Press. God bless. God bless. Biker for Christ. (laughs) 